Good morning. Good morning, sunshine. How are you? I'm well, sir. How are you doing this fine, lovely day? Uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about it. <laughs> I had to think about it. So I'm fine. fine with an asterisk on the end is what yes. you're saying. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm fine. So hopefully our guest today, though, will have some fun and interesting things to talk about that will make your day a little finer. Yeah, he's, he's quite the character, I hear. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit about him. Who are we, who are we talking to today? Well, according to today's guest is Jim Carr. And this is a little bit about him. In our increasingly noisy world, Jim Carr helps businesses break through the noise and grow through more effective and consistent customer conversations. So many professionals today are missing out. They have a lot to offer, but their message isn't right or they lack enough messengers to share it or the entire process seems unmanageable. Jim Carr offers clients his experience as a consumer researcher, award-winning corporate marketing leader, and now consultant, speaker, and coach to businesses ranging from startups to members of the Fortune 500. Jim is the author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business, published by Career Press. He's also host of the Manage Your Message podcast. Ooh, drum roll please for Jim Core. I like it. It was very Price is Right today. <laughs> awesome. Well, I can't wait to start talking to Jim. So let's let's get him on the line and let's go. Let's do it. You are listening to Tribe Pod, a podcast series of interviews of interest to the HR community. It is hosted by Courtney Lane. Produced by Jim Stroud, sponsored by Proactive Talent, and enjoyed by you. Today's episode begins right after this. Recruitment marketing, as compared to maybe employer branding, is all about getting your message and your story in front of the right audience. It's a lot to manage, and what Proactive Talent does for our clients is we help centralize so you have one partner, one vendor to help you manage all those relationships. And not only that, we help you track the effectiveness of every media dollar you spend on hiring so that you know in real time that you're getting the greatest ROI for your marketing investment to attract great talent into your company. We help our clients with recruitment marketing in a couple ways. One is in recruitment marketing strategy. And with that, we really take the time to help you build the right strategy. And then we get mutual approval on that strategy before you spend a single dime. The other way we do this is through our agency of record service. This is a partnership with you where we're able to reach out to publishers on your behalf to negotiate better pricing, to execute on media campaigns, uh, and really act as an extension of your team. Some of the benefits that our clients have seen working with Practic Talents Recruitment Marketing Services is an overall reduction of 30% cost per applicant. That's really significant. It's showing that we're able to leverage great technology, programmatic, and we're also flexible and scalable. We're platform agnostic. We're always gonna use whatever the greatest and latest technology is, whatever the best platforms are to help create efficiencies in your media purchasing so that you're always on the cutting edge. For more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. 
Well, today I'm joined by Jim Carr, author, speaker, coach, consultant, and host of the Manager Message podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Jim. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here to talk about talent and performance and messaging and all of those uh, great things. I feel like I'm among my peeps. Yes, you definitely are. So just to catch everybody up with us, tell us a little bit about what is managing your message, your, your philosophy, what you're delivering out to the world right now. Well, what I do in the way that I serve clients and, uh, and work with teams and companies is to help them bring together what I consider to be the everyday business conversations, the way human beings talk to one another. So if you think about your sales team uh, going out and talking to customers or service teams or uh, distribution or just the, the, the internal, as well as the way that your customers or clients talk to their friends. And uh, so we can talk about the various components of it, but I, I work with people to help them, first of all, get a message itself, like actual words, phrases, questions, stories that are resonant and uh, worth sharing. Mm -hmm. uh, second, how do you build your base of messengers? So it could be, again, it could be an external customer facing team. Uh, it could be uh, whomever it is that you want to be talking about your business in a consistent way. How do you feed that system and give them what they need and keep them motivated and excited and confident? And then the third part is uh, management habits. So I think, uh, and, and we again can go into some of the details, but if you're trying to elevate the way that everyone talks about the business and make that consistent, you don't want to treat it like a one-shot promotional campaign. It needs to be baked in to the way that people are onboarded and trained and coached. And uh, when they change roles in an organization, maybe they go from being a frontline person to all of a sudden they have a team. So they're supposed to model the behavior and coach to it. Uh, that's a new skill and a new uh, area to develop. So my, uh, the, the way that I, I try to work with uh, people, getting to grow the business and engage better by changing the way that people in and around the business talk about it. So my background really briefly is, is several parts of that, uh, Courtney. I've, I, was a, I was a university professor, teacher, oh, uh, wow. researcher for a while uh, along uh, consumer psychology and buyer behavior. So trying to understand over time what people really reacted to, paid attention to, what drove their behavior. Uh, I've been a private company chief marketing officer. Mm -hmm. So knowing how complicated, messy, and uncertain it can be to actually do this in practice in a company. And then for about the last 11 years, I've been working as a consultant and coach and putting together messaging programs and playbooks and training systems and speaking. And I have a book uh, that I came out within the past year. So putting all of that together, simply put, you know, messaging means a lot to different people. You can think, it's your logo, it's your mission statement, it's your vision statement, it's your snappy slogan, uh, whatever that may be. I tend to think of it in very simple, practical terms. It's how human beings talk about your business. So that's what we try to break down. It's a manageable business problem and a manageable business opportunity. And that's the level at which I try to, to work with people on it. Awesome. So for a lot of our listeners who are HR leaders and talent acquisition leaders or talent management leaders, I would have to think that, um, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, is, is there a difference in the approach when um, a marketing team say, or a comms team is thinking about um, how they message to a consumer versus how HR and TA leaders need to be messaging to candidates or employees? What I typically find 
and this is probably not a grand shock to you and your listeners, is that people operate in, in silos. And, uh, and, and they don't mean to, but if you think about the message and what you'd hope is that it's something that really is consistent, not robotic. We don't want everybody operating from the same script. They wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't use it anyway, but we do want some consistency. But the way that say your digital marketing team or your, your marketing leadership thinks of a message and the audiences to whom they're, they're trying to reach is very different than your sales team mm-hmm. or your delivery distribution service teams or your HR team. We tend to be trained in different ways. We have different lingo. Uh, and, and so it's hard to get that to connect. That's one of the things that organizationally makes this hard and it requires some active intervention. So if I'm trying to get kind of a common playbook, what I might think of a single source of truth or mm-hmm. a, a messaging guide that applies across an enterprise, I'm going to be helping lead people and get them together like actually together from marketing and sales and HR and people who might not be in strictly customer facing roles, Mm -hmm. but they have an important part of carrying the message as well so that we can find a language uh, that is understandable and resonant with the actual people on the outside we're trying to reach. So in answer to your question, um, what we hope is something that everybody can draw upon using a little bit of their own, their own experience and, and we respect them enough to, to do it in their own way, yet it's consistent enough so that we can really build credibility, build trustworthiness. Yeah, just one piece of all this, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't talk to anybody who's in a leadership position or their professional services person or really trying to get ahead who doesn't express in some way, I want to be trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I want to be a trusted advisor. I want to be consultative. Um, and so you think about the components of trustworthiness and, and what's, what's required. If you're really inconsistent in what you as an organization are telling the world, online, offline, from different points, what is it that people are going to believe? They don't know what to believe if they're hearing lots of different things at different times. So it's really hard to build trustworthiness if you're really inconsistent. So it requires, I think, a very proactive, intentional approach to say, let's bring everybody together and get uh, get some common language and common stories. So when you think about trustworthiness and, and creating some of that consistencies, is there a bit of a, um, a sort of a bump that people or companies have to go through when maybe they've had historically have been very inconsistent and, and they're, they're coming to the table finally and trying to create it. Is it, is it a, a longer curve to get that trust with their audience? Um, or, or there's some, um, good ways to sort of reset that button or, or reset that expectation with who they're talking to. Absolutely. And there's some things to recognize. First of all, let's give ourselves a break. This is simple in concept. It's really hard to do in practice. And we have some things that are working against us. If you think about whether it's big company, small company, you had a group of people trying to do this. There are a few things that that I find that get in the way. And this is based on research and is based on practice and things that I've seen in my experience. The first, frankly, is our own brains. Um, Mm -hmm. Our our brains are wired in a certain way and they give us, you know, comfort and pleasure. We, we kind of react to, to that. And one of the things conversationally and in our message is our brains reward us. They give us a little happy zap when we talk about ourselves. 
It's the same, the, the same parts of our brain get activated when we talk about ourselves as when we have a great meal or even response to some drugs. Uh, we talk a lot about the dopamine hit that people get right. from social media and we're kind of drawn to it. We can't help ourselves sometimes. So to come up with a language that's really focused on our customers and our communities and our stakeholders means that we've got to set up some, some habits and some reinforcement that get us away from that natural squirrel instinct <laughs> of to, uh, to talk about ourselves. And, and it's all, I mean, it's all well-intentioned. We know what we do well and, and uh, we feel passionate about the business. The other thing is just organizationally, bureaucratically. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's tough, right? People do their work in silos oftentimes and, or by region or by whatever it is. And so, and we have all these informal uh, links of communication, these informal groups as well. So it's hard day to day to be able to build that uh, consistency in. So again, I think we view it as a, as a manageable business issue, the same way as you have any other business process that you're trying to make more efficient is, is to take this really squishy area uh, we think of as messaging and, and apply some discipline to it that way. I would have to imagine um, that given everything that is going on in the world today, just over the past few months, um, there's a lot that it is creating some confusion, probably some anxiety within companies trying to figure out how exactly do we stay, um, you know, represent our company well, continue to connect with our audience, you know, what's the right tone, what's the right content, what are your thoughts right now and maneuvering through this sort of space and time we're in together? It is, as we're recording this, I don't know, global pandemic, uh, major social unrest. Hey, what could, what could go wrong, right? Right. <laughs> so, and, and again, so as we were talking about just a moment before, Courtney, I mean, it's, it's traditionally a hard thing to do, but then when the external environment is, is so unpredictable and so disrupted, I think it puts even more, more pressure on us to know what to do, what to say. No, we don't want to say the wrong thing. So oftentimes we might not say anything at all. And that's probably not the answer either. So, um, so I look at in, in a few different ways. The one um, that's, that's really important today, and you, you hear empathy a lot um, and listening. This is particularly important in a charged time like this. And, I'm, and not just the social unrest, but also um, the fears that, that uh, your, your customers and their customers' customers are having just from an econ, you know, major economic disruption. So I was, uh, in fact, working with a, uh, still am with a transportation company. And so they're um, a big division among their customers. Are they moving essential versus non-essential services and, and what's mm -hmm. going on? And, and they were really not sure, like, well, what are we supposed to say now? What are we supposed to ask? And when we were talking earlier about trustworthiness, what I found is a useful shorthand is psychology of it. What makes you a trust, trusted source, a trustworthy source. Think of it simply as equal parts of two different elements. One is your expertise. That's the mm -hmm. stuff you know, your credentials, your experience, how you can solve problems. But the other half, and it's at least as important, and I think today maybe even more so, is empathy. So empathy is not sympathy, but it's your understanding of the other person's situation, your willingness to listen, um, your ability to put yourself in their shoes, so to speak. Typically, be it professionals or entire organizations, they tend to 
emphasize the expertise part more than anything. That's because it's, it feels more objective. It's easier to talk about. It's easier to prove we know what right. we're doing. The empathy part is, is dicey, but it's really important. And so that is the area that really can only be built through real conversation. And so that, that the importance of the conversation, initiating it, listening, reflecting things back, reflecting internally on, on what you're learning and maybe the ways that you can help today are different than the ways that you were able to help someone 30 days ago or 60 days from now. But uh, overall, I'd say, and there, there are lots of different ways you can do it, but I think it's just get feedback, maintain those lines of, of communication and, um, and, and learn what you're doing. Just be willing to, to be in the moment, let people talk about what they fear, what they worry about, what they resent, what they're trying to predict. And, and then the relationship over time actually will become stronger, I think, in the process. Are there any companies out there right now that you think are just really doing a good job of this, that, that are showing their ability to, to do those things that you just spoke about, not just be experts, but really listen to their, to their audience, to their consumers and, and respond accordingly? Uh, I'm not going to point out anyone in particular that I think is doing great because a lot of those conversations, frankly, are going on behind the scenes, not just yeah. on social media and not in a, a media campaign, which I think is, is really at a very, very surface level. Right. I will say, though, um, I think we're at the point now as we're recording this, uh, Courtney, that um, you don't really need to repeat we're all in this together or right. talk about a challenging time or something. Yeah, I think that the time for platitudes is, is done. And right. I think that was an area early on, especially with the pandemic and shutdowns that, that, that began. And that's thing. Well, we don't know quite what to say. Well, all right, just tell people we're thinking about them. And, um, <laughs> and so what I, what I found, and some people have been a little, I'd say opportunistic. Um, for example, I really, um, I tend to operate more in uh, LinkedIn in terms of any other social platform. Um, and I, I welcome connections from your listeners or anyone else on LinkedIn. But I do find on occasion, there've been some people who have, uh, I've accepted their connection and within about four nanoseconds, they have told me about how they have for a COVID world, packaged all their stuff together and cut the price and it's perfect for everyone right now. That's not demonstrating empathy. That's not right. being aware of the situation that people have. So. Um, I, I can't share like some specifics that I think are great, but there are a lot of examples of where it's a little, let's say clumsy. Right. Right. Yeah. right. You know, I've, um, in, in listening to some of your, you know, podcast and, and reading some of your materials, I've heard you talk about the magic bullet. And I, I love that, that reference point because I think any of us as HR TA leaders have had a moment where we know our business is coming to us. And once that, that magic bullet, like, like how do we just, fix this. And it doesn't exist. There's not, as no. you point out, a magic sorry, bullet. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. There. I, I haven't found it yet. Spoiler alert, no magic bullet. Um, <laughs> right. But you talk about um, the missing bullet. Can you sort of expand on that and, and what you mean? I mean, what does the missing bullet mean? And the missing bullet is, is that piece that, that people can't put their finger on, but they just, like, if I had it, if I knew what to say, you know, how often is it that we, um, even in our own conversations that we think about the great thing to say or the great question to ask about five minutes after the conversation's done. Um, Regularly and then you think this. about, <laughs> right, of course. And I'm guilty of it. Like anyone else, you don't have to be perfect at this. Thank goodness. Uh, so it's, I'll give you one data point that I think illustrates what's missing. And then 
then it's a question of how do we solve for it? How do we bridge the gap? Uh, it was a, a survey done of uh, several hundred business to business salespeople. So they're, they're representing businesses, selling to other businesses. Oftentimes it's, you know, higher value, it's products and solutions and all that. And the question to these people, <clears throat> pardon me, was the question was about the confidence that these salespeople had. <clears throat> they deal at an executive level. They were asked about, pardon me. So there was this group of, of business to business salespeople and, and they're dealing again in, in, at fairly high levels at, at um, long sales times or pretty, pretty high value solutions and products that they sell. The question came in, in two parts to these salespeople on a scale of one to 10, the confidence that they had in what they were selling in their offerings. And the, on that one to 10 scale where 10 was the highest, it was a confidence level of more than eight. So they, they're pretty solid. They're like, look, we're not perfect. Uh, we're not great for everybody, but what we sell works. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we're confident in that. They also ask, what's your level of confidence in the messaging behind what you sell? And on that same one to 10 scale, it was less than four. That's a huge, huge gap. So uh, and it, the way that this plays out, I see it every day and across lots of different kinds of industries and sizes of companies. Is we know we have good stuff. We're passionate about it. We want to serve our customers and our employees and our communities. We're good. We're not perfect, but we're pretty good. Right. And what do we say? Which stories do we share? Which are the right questions to ask? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what our competitors are saying or what am I supposed to respond to them? And so that's the missing piece. And it, it can feel unattainable. People don't even know quite how to define it. That's what I try to help people to do is say, look, we may ne not ever get you completely as confident in what to say is in the, the value of what you offer, but we can close that gap substantially. And just by applying some discipline to it, aligning the message. So let's, let's go through your stuff, right? right. Let's start with your mission and vision and, and your go-to-market strategies and, and all of those things and translate it, cut it down, make it simple and conversational and, and relatable. And and then let's address those messengers, the people that you want to carry that and, and make sure they have what they need and they're supported in the right way. And then let's also look at those management habits, the day-to-day -day practices of how we coach and how we meet and how we onboard and, um, and how we keep that tribal knowledge and, uh, and keep it fresh inside the organization. So it's a, it's a chronic issue. I think people know in their guts, this costs us opportunities. Um, but just need a little clarity, a little simplicity about how we go about solving it. You know, I think about um, like workshops or brainstorming sessions or whiteboarding sessions where we, we get all the right people in the room and we hash it all out and man, we've, we've solved it. And then the second we walk out of that room together, almost it feels like the momentum disappears. Yes. How do companies work on that stickiness? How do you go from, okay, guys, we've, we've, we've got ourselves organized. We know how we want to say it and what we want to say, but how do we actually like get it activated and, and kept going and, and people embracing it and, and making it like the reality every day? Sure. Here are some, some keys that I've found in working with, with organizations, and particularly if you get into larger, more complex organizations. And you're right. I mean, there, there are so many good priorities. There's so many great things that we know we need to do. What we have to do is start from the very beginning and, go and, and say, 
um, this is strategically important that we get a handle on this. And we're not going to treat it as a, a short-term promotion. It's not a, a, a brief campaign. We are going to make a permanent step upward in how everybody thinks about the business and how they talk about the business. And we're going to have to approach that so that it's not an initiative coming from HR. It's right. not an initiative. And I'm not picking on HR. It can't be an initiative <laughs> coming from marketing or from the customer service team or whomever, because then it will be seen as it's their issue. So what I find works is if there's either a change committee mm -hmm. or there's a, a sponsoring executive who has to live with the results of doing this well. I mean, we're solving real business issues. Maybe we're trying to grow the top line by a certain percent. We're trying to win, uh, get better win rates or improve our margins or build efficiencies or all of the above. So we have to have someone who says, okay, you from this unit, you from this unit, you from over here, we need to, we're going to do this together. And whether you do it uh, only internally or if you have a third party to help guide you through that process, um, if you have an interdisciplinary team, you have real business outcomes, you give yourself uh, time urgency about it, mm -hmm. then, uh, and sometimes it's around, hey, we have a new product coming out, or we have an acquisition, or we have a something that's there on the calendar that we're going toward, and so we can't shuffle our feet too much. We got to, got to get to this. Right. So I think it comes from, it's got to be attached to an important business outcome. You have to have good from the top sponsorship to help hold everybody accountable. Perhaps you want someone to guide you through that process who can, who can call out if like, no, 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 we're really not, we're not doing this quite the right way. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, and then also be able to have a, a team that supports this. So make sure that you know, when you've, you've got your, your messaging guide, you got your playbook and you did it six months ago, it, uh, maybe every six months it needs a refresh, needs a, needs a look again. So someone has to own that uh, inside the organization as well. If you approach, approach it that way, very strategically, then the change comes quickly mm -hmm. and the change actually has a chance to stick over time. What are some of the things like as, as leaders are listening to our conversation and they may be pausing and trying to reflect and think, do we need to go through this work or are we doing okay? Are there any sort of telltale signs um, or red flags that would tell a company that you, you probably need to, to take a pause and, and maybe consider your messaging and if you're really doing, you know, the, all the right things or all the things you can be doing at least. Sure. As you look across the business and I mentioned before, I think there are three components of managing your message. So message messengers and management habits. So I also have come up with three symptoms that you've got weakness in mm -hmm. one of these areas more so than the other. Now, the first one is commodity. So it basically, and if you can take a look at your website, your communications, things like that, are, do you sound like everybody else in your industry? <laughs> um, it's very easy to, to, to sound that way um, or to have kind of platitudes that, that don't really connect with people very much. I call that commodity. Right. So and, and unwittingly, unintentionally, we, uh, we can let that happen over time. The second is uh, I call crickets. Uh, when I, I grew up in a little town in South Georgia and on those summer evenings, you could hear the crickets chirping because nothing else was happening. Right. right. So the crickets are chirping. Not much is going on. So growth is hard to come by. And whether you're looking for a net new business or you want to do more for your existing customer base, um, if you're having a problem there, if growth seems, if, 
unusually hard is probably you don't have enough messengers. It may be coming on just a few people to be sharing that, your, your executive team or your sales leadership or whomever. And so let's, let's focus in that case on expanding the base of people who are going to help unearth some new opportunities. Uh, the other uh, symptom, the third one, I call cowboys. So it's the <laughs> cowboy mentality of that everyone's doing it their own way. Mm. This is, I find, really um, common within sales organizations. Mm-hmm. And, then, and people have a, and listen, we love the autonomy. We love the get it, get it done attitude of the cowboy or the cowgirl, as the case <laughs> might be. But that also breeds inconsistency. And as we talked about earlier, you really can't scale that. And that, that drives leaders nuts. And they'll, they'll say, Jim, I tell you, you go out this door, you go down the hallway, the first 10 people that you run across, ask them our value proposition. Ask them, you know, what we do for our customers or what's a best fit customer. You know, half of them will be deer in the headlights and the other, the other five people will probably give you five different answers. How do we fix that? So those are the, the, the areas. Now, a lot of these are interrelated, Courtney, as you might suspect. And I'll, I'll give one quick example. Uh, a company called Opower that I worked with a few years ago. Um, their customers were utilities. They had software, uh, which is still in use. They, they're, still, they're still running like, uh, really well. That helps um, utilities match energy efficiency mandates that come to them. And they, they've got a real neat process for doing it. But it's pretty, it was pretty technical and pretty new. And so we were, we were coming in to help them as they were growing quickly to, uh, to get their salespeople telling an enterprise story better and finding more opportunities. What they also found, though, and we got the, the sales curve rising again for them, but they also found that it, they were getting their new people productive 25% faster than it had been the case before. So the, the onboarding, it was kind of a nice ripple effect that was there. But if you get people to understand the core of what the, the company does and whom it serves and where they're a great fit, a lot of other parts of the onboarding and the learning process fall into place better. So, so they were able to save some money at the same time they're, they're driving the top line. So Again, I look at commodities, crickets, and cowboys as major indicators that this might be worth a priority, knowing that you might be able to solve for more than one headache at the same time. Are there, along with those sort of common symptoms, are there common challenges or pushbacks? And I'm thinking more from a people perspective of, you know, the CEO or whomever saying, okay, guys, we're, we got to come in together and we got to focus on this. Do there tend to be people that push back a little bit and say, eh, maybe your cowboys and cowgirls who say, eh, we got this. We don't need to do this. Or, do you see that? Or is this one of those things that once the topic gets brought up, it's something to easily get the, you know, the folks rallied around? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little of both, but there, there can be some very natural pushback, right? So marketing, and I'm, I'm painting with a broad stroke here, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's not always, I don't, I don't want to say that it's always this way. And I'm a marketing person, but oftentimes marketing is viewed as we're the keeper of the message, right? We're the keeper of how we communicate. A lot of people are trained very tightly in communication that work in that area. They don't want to lose control of the message and they probably, well, not, at least it's, they may have had a history, say, of their carefully crafted positioning statements and presentations and all going, say, to the sales team or to selling partners and getting ripped apart within hours, right? right? And people doing it their own way. So, and, and salespeople are, they want, they want leads and opportunities, but they want some autonomy. Um, 
and and so you go down the line of I think a lot of people will say um, I have my way of doing things and and I don't want that being taken away from me. But I think if uh, you're able to structure this in the right way, saying we're solving a common issue, here's where everyone has a stake in us solving that issue. And if you're making sure that again, everyone that you want to be a messenger for you and to use this, if either directly they should be involved in creating the message or at least people like them or the people they would say as being like them are involved in it. My, my fingerprints are on this. I, I buy in. So when we workshop it, when we put this thing together, we're deliberately getting people with those different perspectives. And um, so that makes the content better. And you wind up generating in the process of putting your message together, generating a lot more momentum, a lot more credibility. And people actually kind of get excited about this uh, when you, when you, put it together. There will always be some people who resist, the people who resist anything, right? Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but overall, if you're trying to build something that, um, that brings the units together and makes you more consistent, there are ways to do it in the process that'll, that'll help you get there. Awesome. Well, um, I want to thank you, Jim, for spending some time with us today. Before we wrap up, though, um, I would love for you to be able to share with folks about the book that you released this, this year, um, as well as if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, the best way for them to do that. Sure. I'll suggest three things. We tend to think in three. So first of all is a, is a book It's called the science of customer connections, manage your message to grow your business. And it's available in paperback Kindle and audiobook form, all the places that you buy books and consume books, audible, all, all of those as well. Um, secondly, as I have a, get this, a podcast, it's called the manage your message podcast. And so I, I find this podcasting thing really has some legs to it, Courtney. It's a, it's a great thing. Yes. <laughs> so we, we talk about all those different areas and I would welcome the connection. My, my website is jimcar.com. I have K A R R H by the way. It's a, it's a, it's a toughie, but, um, uh, I also bought the domain names of some of the most common misspellings. So if you get close, <laughs> you'll probably get there. Uh, some free resources there, and I would welcome a connection. Uh, I primarily, uh, from a social media standpoint, I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, I would welcome that. And if I may be a sounding board uh, for, for anyone of your listeners, I would welcome that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. Bye. Another interesting podcast, a lot of interesting points, uh, which is why I keep saying interesting. I guess interesting is the word of the day. <laughs> I, I like what he said. Uh, it's important to have empathy in these turbulent times. Uh, I mean, absolutely. And I think continuing so, I mean, not even just with the pandemic, but um, with a lot of the social unrest that we're seeing right now, I think people have to just be very um, mindful of the tone they're taking and the conversations they're having, both internally and externally. Yeah, I like what he said. You gotta, uh, there's no need to keep saying that these are unprecedented times. I think unprecedented <laughs> times is the key phrase of the year. If there's like a, a dictionary contest, that's, that's the phrase we're gonna use. Indeed, and hopefully we don't have any more unprecedented times moments. I think we've met our fill for 2020, if I can say that. I think we're good. I agree, I agree. Hey guys, if you're listening, and of course you're listening because you hear my voice, <laughs> if you have any comments about this particular podcast or have any suggestions for future topics, we would love to hear from you. Please, 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 please send us an email. You can reach us at tripod, that's T-R-I-B-E-P-O-D, tribepod at proactivetalent.com. Operators are standing by. Awesome. Have a great one.